RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Back on the 7th of July, the Prime Minister gave a speech to the New Zealand Institute of International Affairs, a foreign policy speech, where he spoke about the global context. He said, I firmly believe that in an increasingly volatile world, shoring up and strengthening our closest relationships is key to our economic prosperity, enhancing our national security and promoting domestic harmony. And he said, if you came to hear me set out a radical departure on our foreign policy, I'm sorry to let you down. In relation to Australia, he said, I believe the trans-Tasman relationship is the strongest it has been in decades. Regarding the United States, he said it was great to meet with Secretary Blinken earlier this year. And of course, Dame Jacinda Ardern met President Biden in the White House late last year. In those meetings, he said, we welcome the increased U.S. engagement in the Pacific and the wider Indo-Pacific region. Regards UK and Europe, expanding trade opportunities for New Zealand exporters is central to the government's economic recovery plan, he said. And to support greater market diversification, he said, since 2017, the government has secured or upgraded seven different FTAs. And he said the government has provided significant diplomatic, military and humanitarian assistance, and we will continue to play our part in supporting the people of Ukraine. What, the 20 million out of 52 million that are left? Hmm. In the Pacific, he said our commitment is to provide over half a billion dollars in climate finance in the Pacific region. That's being rolled out, but our neighbours are asking for more of us. The Indo-Pacific is home not only to many of our most significant export markets, but also increasing strategic competition and tensions from the South China Sea to Taiwan and fundamental in addressing issues from climate change to transnational crime. For China, he said, and this was just after he was in China, you remember those pictures of him with the WEF? Just last weekend, I arrived back from China and a very successful trade mission. China is our most complex relationship. New Zealand's national interests require continued engagement with China and cooperation where our interests converge. Certainly, our economic interests are significant, but there are other ways in which China challenges our national interests, and in these areas, we will disagree. However, putting up walls and closing doors doesn't serve us well in the long term, and engagement is always preferable to isolation. And he's pretty heavy on the old uh, cyber threats and disinformation. Disinformation is on the rise around the world. Of course, he knows all about that because he's a, a master of practicing it and will continue to pose ongoing threats to democracy and social cohesion. Here in New Zealand, we've experienced how disinformation from international sources can find a niche and amplify divisions and foment interest. Yes, in his fevered wet dream. Sorry, I had to say that because that's not true. But... He says, as I said at the start, I'm not convinced these emerging threats require an entirely new foreign policy response. Well, I guess you'd know, being from Upper Hutt, you'd know how to relate to Lower Hutt. I guess that's a start. And he goes on to talk about a good example is the Christchurch call. The call leveraged our position as an honest broker on the world stage to draw together a coalition of countries, tech companies, and civil society to address the issue of terrorist and violent extremist content online. And uh, in the area of enhancing defense and security capabilities, we can't be passive and we need to keep investing in our defense and security capabilities at home. Is that why we can only get one ship out of the port for the Navy? I wonder. 
And there was a hole in the other one, wasn't there? Anyway, so that's what uh, Chrissy Hipkiss covered in his speech to the New Zealand Institute of International Affairs back on the 7th of July. And then there's the story from Friday that I told you about, uh, oh, about half an hour ago, a little more than half an hour ago, about uh, the overarching National Intelligence and Security Agency being not far off. According to Andrew Little, the Minister of Defence, New Zealand security arrangements are changing, he says, with overarching spy agency not far off, a National Security and Intelligence Agency, NISA, will be established as a priority as part of an inaugural national security and defence strategy, announced the Minister, Andrew Little, on Friday. And just to remind you, he said that NISA would be over and above the SIS and GCSB, not a replacement. Its job would be to take a high-level view of the threat horizon. I'd like to welcome back to Reality Check Radio from the University of Tariba, Riga, Latvia, but currently in Sweden, Greg Simons, Kiwi. He was formerly an assistant professor and researcher at the University of Uppsala in Sweden in the Institute for Russian and Eurasian Studies and is now a lecturer at the Department of Communication Sciences at Tariba University in Riga, Latvia. But he is actually connecting with us from Sweden. Greg, good to have you back. Yeah, cheers, Paul. You, you're our sort of go-to guy now for, um, yeah. for, for joining the dots, let's say. Okay, so um, previously we've talked about uh, the NATO summit that was held in Vilnius. We've talked about the Ukraine war and um, and obviously the United States and their involvement in in those uh, events. So you heard that paraphrased list that I sort of read out sections from the various headings of the Prime Minister's address to the New Zealand Institute of International Affairs back in early July. So let's start with the United States part of what he was saying. Um, most recently, we've had the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, here, We've had Kamala Harris's husband, Doug, I forget his second name here as well at the same time. I don't think the visits were related. Coincidentally, they were both here. We had the uh, Air Force Two parked up at Wellington Airport for a couple of days. What, what would he have been doing here, do you think? Getting New Zealand back on the message, probably. This would be my guess, because there is no other reason to have him there uh, than to say what needs to be done for the United States uh, by New Zealand and its politicians. So that this would be like a, a briefing, uh, I would uh, characterise it Yeah, but as. to turn up in person, because you could yeah. do that over the Zoom or whatever, to turn up in person. Oh, yes. I mean, it, it's power play. So stand, stand over uh, New, New Zealand politicians, which... I don't hold much stock in the quality of New Zealand politicians, but not many people um, do, mate. <laughs> but uh, th this is what I would assume that it is about. Uh, it might also be that there are some things which are said which they do not want to uh, say over electronic means because electronic means can be intercepted. And All right, so. Yeah, some some pretty, um, let's say, personal stuff. Yeah, stuff that should never see the light of day because New Zealand public would probably uh, not be very pleased about the content and the implications. 
Okay, so we know the Australians are in this nuclear <laughs> sub-deal, Alcus, Orcus, whatever name it is. We don't seem to be directly involved in that. We have an, an anti-nuclear stance, though. I mean, that surely would be flexible at some point, but we certainly don't have the money. What we do have, though, is a relationship with China, and we have you know, a, a very strong trade relationship. Without it, our country would be probably in a very bad economic way. Is that why they're here? I would think so, because th this is something they've been trying to do around the what they call the Indo-Pacific region. So they've been going uh, to, to get uh, different so-called sovereign countries uh, around Southeast Asia and Pacific uh, <clears throat> back on track. So that is to cut all ties, uh, which are namely economic ones with China, uh, and have sole dependency on the United States, uh, which means, I mean, this, this is going, <clears throat> going back into this Brzezinski framework of geostrategy. That is to have a, well, at, at some stage, a vassal state, which is dependent on the US. I mean, many countries are somewhat dependent on the US in terms of uh, international uh, institutions and structures like this, and also this uh, security framework, they're dependent. But this is tempered by the fact they have some independence because of their economic relationship with China. And so, so long as they have that economic relation with China, I mean, the US is doing the same thing with Europe, if you look at the moment. It's trying to kill any kind of attempt to bring the one belt, one road uh, into Europe. Uh, I mean, their vassal states are rapidly devolving into client states. Yeah, I see the Italians have pulled out of that as, as there was news this week. So, um, and that would that be because of the recent change of government and the slight sort of, well, it's, it's a perceived move to the right, is it? Or, or more of a nationalist sort of, Kind of way the, of doing the, the US ha has a lot of sway. For, for example, I mean, people look uh, for, just to get outside the international politics, but to uh, to point uh, how much influence they can have. So Romania, right? So uh, you had a, a certain person, Andrew Tate, move there uh, to escape unwanted attention, and normally that would work. Uh, because it's a bit more flexible there. And um, however... Well, well, when you say flexible, you can uh, sort of have people on your side by various it's means. It's possible to have people on your side or indifferent or turning a blind eye to some uh, different things, but not this rigid uh, adherence uh, to things like you get in, for example, Sweden or... Germany, these uh, northern states. So anyway, <clears throat> apparently he seems to have um, annoyed some rather influential families in the United States, who of course then went to the State Department. And the State Department went to the US ambassador uh, in Romania. The US ambassador in Romania uh, went uh, to the head of the Romanian government and said, we want him taken care of, which he was thrown in jail. <laughs> and he's been okay, in this kind works. of lim yeah, yeah. limbo state. So, I mean, th this is 
how they behave. Uh, when you say and, families, is that like just a sort of like a, a general category, or, or do you mean uh, specific the, families? The parents, the parents of some of those girls, uh, right. which he was u- using in his podcasts. Okay, and they're uh, wealthy, wealthy, influential families, or just yes, families that, that, that give a a good reason to get a guy you want to get. Yes. <clears throat> okay, and the Romanians complied. They had, yeah, they did. Yeah. Because the US told them. <laughs> All right. So um, Italy breaking away from Belt and Road would be because the US told them. Exactly. To. Yeah. And- uh, I mean, it's like another thing I, I heard. I mean, this is illustrative of how they act. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I was talking to the former head of the Serbian army, and he was the commander in chief during the Kosovo War. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things he said was uh, the U.S. and NATO were doing a miserable job in uh, destroying uh, Serbian equipment, artillery, tanks, and so forth. They were hiding them, and the U.S. and NATO were getting very frustrated. And then they had a... Well, this is what the U.S. said uh, in private. They didn't say it in public, of course, and he was one of the ones they said it to, that if you do not surrender now, we will turn your cities into ash kind of, of like what the Nazis did to Amsterdam uh, when the Dutch weren't surrendering straight away. Okay, so they're not playing around. No. And, of course, the Serbs understood didn't they, this was didn't not they, an empty threat. Didn't they hit the Chinese embassy? They did. Bill Gray? maps. <laughs> was the excuse. <laughs> what was the excuse again? Old maps oh, were being right. used. No way, uh, right. Yeah, well, I mean, the Chinese, if anything, are patient, and and I mean, they got their own back when that uh, they got that U.S. spy plane uh, a, a few some years later, where right. they took it out and it had to uh, force land on Hainan Island. That's right. Yeah, the um, was it PC three or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, and we're going to get back down to this part of the world at China in just yep. a moment, but. Um, there didn't seem to be that sort of okay. So that was the, the Kosovo uh, part of that conflict was what late nineties, mid to late nineties, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yep. quite a while ago. Okay, yep. um, it seemed that this sort of pressure wasn't so much being exerted while Trump was the president. Well, or was it? I mean, you, you you had different forms of pressure. So I mean. I mean, it was still going because, I mean, he had a good number of psychopaths uh, in his government. I mean, look at Pence uh, and uh, Bolton and and the, these particular ones. So you, you mean, put Pence in that category. I know Bolton is always Oh, yes. Pence. Well, I mean, you, you just look at how he reacts. I mean, look at that recent interview he had uh, where he choked on that question by yeah. Tucker Carlson. Yeah. He said uh, that the American public were not his concern. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, right. Yeah, he outed yeah. himself. Yeah, he did. He showed his true face. And, yeah, I mean, you just look at it, look at the guy's demeanour and how he behaves and reacts. Uh, I mean, he's got a few mental issues that need to be uh, worked on. Oh, dear. All right, yeah. so uh, I guess what I was getting to is it, it seems that because uh, Ukraine is definitely um, part of this this mix of things, 
yeah. the real sharp end because so many people are, are being killed and maimed and it seems to a lot of people to be completely unnecessary, really. Yes. So it's an absolute yes. tragedy. But that's under the Democrats and Biden. And Biden seems to have, through his son and the family, some very deep connections with that country that kind of don't make sense on the surface. Well, on the surface, uh, they're hidden because, rightly so, I mean, that family is utterly corrupt. I mean, if we look back at the history, uh, and uh, those cowboys on CNN invited me once for a live interview, they regretted (laughs) it and they would never make that mistake ever again. Never came back. But but anyway, so the the, the point was that these guys... um, for example, Biden got his son, uh, Hunter, and we all know the quality of person that Hunter is, uh, with his numerous stories of laptops and narcotics and yes, uh, all. Well, remember the Brisbane guy stuff. said he was dumber than his dog. Uh, well, I think that that's pretty obvious, and it's rather insulting to the dog to be compared to him. But anyway, for example, I mean, look at the Ukrainian gas company when. He was put on the on the board there. I mean, what is he going to bring to the board? I mean, he got from the board. I mean, he got a good payout each month. Uh, and when the Ukrainian prosecutor general uh, opened a case uh, to prosecute him, uh, then Joe Biden uh, threatened to cut all aid uh, to Ukraine uh, unless they fired the prosecutor general. Now. I mean, we all talk about the uh, Budapest Memorandum, and the Budapest Memorandum consists of two parts. It consists of a part of uh, military action, that is coercion with the threat of coercion, but it also mentions economic coercion with the threat of it. So what he did is break the Budapest Memorandum, which is what I said on CNN before they went completely ballistic. Did they turn you off ballistic. as soon as you said that, did they? Did suddenly oh, there was a no. picture the, failure? The, well, they, they were kind of frozen in shock temporarily, and, and then they, they kind of got it back and they went into uh, a rather panicked damage control. But you know. I guess what I'm trying to get to is that this current political regime in the United States that seems <laughs> to be you know, really exerting this kind of um, sort of freaky pressure and then bringing it mm. back down. Obviously, Russia, you know, they, they demonize Russia. They, they, yep. they've, got, they've got some derangement over Russia. Have they got a similar derangement over China? I think this is what they're going to start to do now because if you look at it, I mean, what what is the logic? What would be the primary reason for trying to break all these connections in the Indo-Pacific? Why are you using this rhetoric that there is an imminent uh, and an inevitable Chinese invasion of Taiwan, which is exactly what they did with Russia uh, over Ukraine before the before it finally came about, and breaking all these connections, uh, turning vassal states into client states? I mean, Australia has no will of its own now, uh, and acts against its interests. Uh, my understanding is that the only logical conclusion is they plan to create a, or recreate a, a Ukraine scenario uh, within the Indo-Pacific region. That's so the that, only means, thing that-, that means a pro- some sort of, well, proxy real estate, proxy 
war proxy battlefield, yeah. whether it what is it economic or, or what do they call no, it? I, I would say it's already economic. So I would, which it was already with Russia before the war started. So I'm talking about actually uh, finding enough dupes to go and fight and die for the US because the US has a problem. I mean, in spite of all its bluster uh, that it's the uh, what the most powerful nation the world has ever seen and blah, 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 they are still primarily uh, a naval and air power. And naval and air power does not win you wars unless it's like uh, Pacific. But if you face uh, a major land power like Russia, like Iran, uh, like China, then you need proxies. I mean, the US used Iran, uh, Iraq against Iran from 1980 to 89. It's using Ukraine against Russia. It's trying to use India against China, but it needs lots of body bags and not American ones because those are deeply unpopular with the uh, domestic politics. And they don't have the capacity, do they? Their, their standing no. army is, is small. It's not. It's a shadow of what it used to be historically well, after we're not only talking about uh quantity but quality because mm. the, the american armed forces are in a rather bad psychological state because you've got all this wokeism and yeah. stuff which, which is sweeping through it so i mean even if it did have the numbers which i mean they cannot recruit they're, they're falling way short of recruiting numbers they can't retain people because it's turned into a woke uh, kindergarten and they actually have to fight and die i mean you just look at they're recruiting ads. I mean, you cringe yes. when, when you see yeah. them. Well, so, if, you th if you're an, compare an, it, an adversary and, and you looked at that, you'd think this shouldn't take too long. No, exactly. And they probably understand that deep down. I mean, you, you have, um, you know, biological males, uh, admirals in women's dresses and things like that. And, I mean, the, the Chinese and the Russians are not playing on the, on the same. This, this they must game look at, at them and go, oh, my God. I heard, uh, I think, um, uh, a, a guy I follow and respect, um, uh, uh, Douglas McGregor, who's yep. quite a commentator. He's very well known. And he, he puts it like this, and I think it's a very good way of, of uh, putting it. He says, we've been going around clubbing baby seals for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's easy. Yeah. Um, what I'm thinking here, though, is that New Zealand can't easily break its ties with China without becoming no. very poor very quickly. And I mm. don't see, maybe I'm missing something, how that business or those opportunities can be replaced or picked up by any association with the United States. So no. what do mm. we do? We're, we're between a rock and a hard place. And if we're fighting or being involved in conflicts that they're not equipped to fight, the only way yeah. they are equipped to fight is by going to the ultimate level, and that is weapons that we never want to see used. Exactly. Yeah. Is that where it I mean, ends? This is how it goes. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at this, I mean, the U.S. has been trying to win these uh, wars by different means, uh, with the, the, these different... <clears throat> orange revolutions or these color revolutions the arab spring things like this and, and that's rel relatively cost-free but it, deeply unpredictable results and of course 
those victims of this kind of political warfare, hybrid warfare, soon adapt. So now they're going into these uh, proxy wars. And they used to be more indirect. But I mean, it's like uh, when I have liberals explain to me, oh, Russian aggression, Russian aggression, Russia's occupying Ukraine. Then I throw the question, okay, did you know the United States occupies more of Syria than Russia does of Ukraine? Yeah. And they go, uh, uh, but Assad's a terrible person. Syria is a <laughs> sovereign country. Yeah. Well, was uh, until well, first of all, flooded with jihadists uh, by the US. Uh, those jihadists were armed, they encouraged, uh, supplied weapons. I mean, including uh, chemical weapons, and so. And now we're at the state where you have a more uh, hands-on uh, indirect conflict. And I mean, you, you just see that, I mean, like yesterday, I mean, uh, you could see on Telegram that, that several uh, US mercenaries were killed in Ukraine. So yeah, there's a much more direct uh, involvement in terms of personnel. I mean, you look at the, I mean, you've got thousands of Poles uh, which, which are fighting. Uh, so um, <laughs> you, you've got the, the, the situation which is growing more dangerous. It's more unpredictable. I mean, Russia has stated its position. China has stated its position. And the West thinks it can be negotiated uh, and that it can somehow, that, like in the past, these countries just fold to them. Yeah, they, 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 can, they, they can, you can steer them down. You can't steer them down, can you? No. No, not, no, not so anymore. ultimately, if we get sandwiched in this, it could be very bad for us. It will not only be very bad, it'll be catastrophic. Uh, I mean, because, I mean, you look what's happening in Africa right now. This is a good, a good example. I mean, you had the government in Nigeria, which was a puppet uh, indirectly of the US uh, through France, was overthrown by the locals. And now they threaten regime change to get their puppet back. And you got Rather than backing down, I mean, you see it's expanding. The neighbouring countries, Mali and, and so forth, are saying, if you do that, that's a declaration of war. We will go to war with you. <laughs> wow. Okay. So how do you see the game playing out then? What should people be thinking about and what sort of moves would should we be looking um, at our politicians uh, and what mm. and the moves that they make to give us you know, some kind of directional intel as to where we're heading? Well, I mean, I'm afraid I really do not have any faith in your uh, crop of political leadership. Uh, I mean, it's without any leadership. Uh, you, you've got this window dressing. From what I understand, uh, Hipkins has just released a, a statement uh, yesterday, which was uh, released today, uh, about different security policy and information policy. Uh, and I mean, so what they're doing is they're already preparing uh, the, the New Zealand public uh, to become an object uh, of the US rather than a subject of international But, but why would they do that to their own country? So to jump in, unless what? I mean, what would what would have them going along with that? There's no patriotism you, you ideological, there. Uh, ideological travellers. I mean, they're part of this global liberal elite. I mean, look at how what Schultz is doing to Germany. I mean, Germany is 
utterly wrecked uh, under him. He could have shown backbone. I mean, Merkel was bad enough, but when you look and see what Schultz is doing, I mean, you really realise that these people have this kind of inner slave mentality where they just adhere to this ideological line, no matter the cost for the country which they supposedly represent. Germany's been, I mean, if we go back five, ten years, the European uh, collective economy was actually something like uh, five, ten percent larger than the US. Now it's significantly smaller. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, th this is what future you have in store. Uh, I mean, you're, the, what's left of the New Zealand economy will be wrecked. Uh, and soon enough, I mean, you have this kind of reliving this 1930s where you, you go from uh, economic devastation uh, to this uh, political instability to a military devastation. And uh, and this is all uh, being geared, I mean, to preserve U.S. global hegemony, which, I mean, that they still have hegemony in a relative state. Uh, they used to have it in an absolute state. They want to keep it. It brings privileges and benefits. What would happen if, you know, Blinken's here and, and let, let's say I was the, the person he was talking to, and I said, no, nah, can't do that. Sorry, can't do that. Well, if we remember, I mean, something not so dissimilar happened across the Tasman in the 1970s, Whitlam. Mm. Oh, look what happened to him. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, there are more than one way to skin a cat. There they used the Governor-General uh, to unseat him. Uh, I mean, it's possible. I mean, you look at those different world leaders that have said no in the past, that ended up in body bags or disappeared. Okay, so fear. Yeah, of course. Fear is the thing that uh, brings compliance. But it's not willing compliance sometimes. <clears throat> and you've seen what happens if they're put in a position where they have absolutely nothing to lose, like uh, Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein and uh, these kinds of people. Uh, but fear is, is generally the way because the US plays a zero-sum game and it's a very unbalanced relationship. I mean, they're parasitical and, and you, you've got the situation where they're having military meltdown, political meltdown, uh, economic meltdown. The the dollar, uh, the global dollar was the thing that kept them afloat and that's rapidly going out. So this is, a death, this is a thrashing around in some kind of death spiral. Is that what we're seeing here? I, I, I pretty much think it is by now because, I mean, how can you save that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it would take, a, especially given the, shall we say, intellectual capabilities and capacity uh, to meet those challenges. You don't have it there. You have lackeys uh, and ideologues, and mm. neither of them are, are suited to meet the uh, different crises and challenges which are there. That, uh, just going back to Whitlam, because this, this possibly informs us of, of what could happen here too. So the Governor-General fired him or, or, or took him out. Yeah. That would have been in consultation with the Queen, right? <laughs> well, the, the Queen may have been informed at, at some stage. I dare say the... Uh, well, well Governor-General initial... would not have would not have wanted, wanted to have got on the wrong side of Her Majesty, surely. 
Yeah, but I mean, you look at the relationship of the United Kingdom to the United States. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it says it all. I mean, uh, it, I well, mean, if the Governor General did that to Whitlam, someone said you got to do that. Of course, and I dare say that message came through the U.S. Embassy, uh, right. who told the Governor General, "This is what needs to be done." This is how they do things. Like in Romania, uh, Andrew Tate needs to be taken out. Like yes, uh, Biden, like Biden um, son of a bitch, he was fired, you know, talking about yeah. choking the prosecutor. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> All right. Um, so, <laughs> so much to look forward to, isn't there? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and what, will, what will the Chinese do then to push back, it's for, you know, where the meat and the sandwich? What are they, what, what heat do we get from them then? There will be heat, and one can already see it, because the, the world is rapidly dividing into two uh, main camps. And you've got uh, the Western-centric world, which is this US unipolar order, and you've got this kind of multipolar, non-Western world. And, I mean, what you see, China, Russia, and these uh, larger, uh, and what I would call actually sovereign states, uh, they're creating non-Western uh, institutions, which are not controlled by the U.S. You've got uh, BRICS, you've got the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. You'll see more of these. You've got these kind of equivalents of the World Bank and all, all of these other things which are sprouting up. Uh, and you'll have, uh, I mean, one of the first things they'll do, I mean, they already threatened to do that to Australia when, Australia, when the Americans told Australia that they're going to host a, a carrier task force in Perth, uh, but uh, uh, they, if they ha that happened, they'd have just been completely, they would have had a trade war with China. And considering that their exports uh, of raw materials are especially oriented towards China, uh, I mean, it would hit the Aussie economy massively. And I think that's the, the main thing. You're going to have geoeconomics, uh, namely economic warfare, is going to be the beginning of this. Uh, so those countries that don't comply or act against the interests of, of China, they, they will get their stuff elsewhere. I mean, look what happened when the US put all those sanctions and all of the lackeys um, put the sanctions uh, on, uh, on Russia. I mean, it, it, actually, for Italy to put sanctions on Russia, uh, it cost Italy, I think it was 50 billion euro a year and 10,000 10, jobs or something like this right. to impose sanctions. So, and, but they can get this stuff elsewhere. I mean, they're getting what they got from Italy uh, from Latin America or they get it from uh, Africa or, the Mid or Asia. So, I mean you put yourself out of the market uh, because you, you wish to act as a client state. Okay, so um, if it was up to you, if you were making a decision, whose side should we be on if we had to choose sides? Who's, <coughs> uh, is there any oh, upside to any of the positions? There, there's a careful balance and one needs to do a hedging strategy. So you protect yourself from uh, both sides, which until now, New Zealand has been doing. Uh, but the side that is clearly going to come out of this uh, is not the US. I mean, the US is doing I mean, look at it. It's absolutely dysfunctional on every single level. 
Uh, and I mean, as, well, as empire and decline. Empire and decline. Well, absolutely. Of... Well, it's in a in a freefall. Right. I mean, you you just look at those videos of what's happening in those major U.S. cities with the homeless and those uh, drug epidemic, well, pandemics, I suppose you'd call them now. Yeah, and, and things like yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, is that going to go up against major powers? I mean, if they do, it's it's not going to last too long. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fascinating chat, Greg. Good to catch up with you again. Greg Simons, Associate Professor at the University of Tariba in Riga, Latvia, beaming in again. And uh, you, there's a, a lot to think about there. <laughs> yeah, concentrated, uh, depressing thoughts to mull over, definitely. Well, you know, maybe we can be smart and sort of, you know, ride the fine edge somehow. But it well, sounds that, like without politicians, we don't have much yeah. of a hope. Look to India because they're doing oh. exactly this at, at the moment. They're quite interesting how they hedge things. So, okay, all right, now good to catch up again. Thanks so much. You're welcome. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.